0: Well guys, I'm Pastor Terry, I'm lead pastor here at Fusion, and uh, I'm just so grateful that you joined us today. I hope that you came and, and, and um, man, just uh, just experienced the presence of God, and, and, and my, my, I think my biggest hope for, for each of you is that you understand that we, we create these services with you in mind, and, uh, and, and beyond that, um, that this is a place where we, we just really want to connect, grow, and serve together, and uh, so it's good to have all of you here. I'm in a series right now called Resurrection Road, and what, we've, what we want to do is we want to just take over the next four weeks, starting last week, so this week, next week, week after, leading up to Easter, and we really just kind of want to paint the picture of what the last day and a half, two days of Jesus' life look like. And I want you to, to be in the story with them. For me, I can't just hear a story. I've got to picture myself in the story. Anybody other than me, I'm a visual learner. So I have, to, I have to try and look at it from the view of like, I, was I there? What did I see? What did I hear? What did I, what did I smell? What did I feel? And I want you to do that as we go through this. Week one, we talked about the Last Supper and we talked about the garden. And we talked about how Jesus was trying to tell us, guys, listen, this is it. And he couldn't understand it. And, and Jesus is trying to tell them, guys, This is the end of this part for me, but it's the beginning of everything else. And in the middle of that, he had to deal with people completely missing the point. He had to deal with people betraying him. We'll talk a little bit more more about that today. He had to deal with bickering. He had to deal with people who were pointing out the faults of others while trying to put themselves in the most positive light possible and say that they were the greatest in the kingdom. He had to deal with isolation at that moment in the garden. And, uh, and he had to deal with, with the, the fact that the people who were closest to him when he needed them most were the ones sleeping on him. We've, we've been able to identify with some of that. We talked about being betrayed. Now, was anybody here for the second service last Sunday? It was, it was a crazy moment, and I'll tell you what happened because it really just kind of solidified the idea of, like, of, of being betrayed. And so I was, I was preaching, and I was like, has anybody ever identified with being betrayed? And there was a little boy here, and if you've been to second service, I don't know if you've seen him in first service or not, but his name is Christian. He's about four years old. We call him Hallelujah Boy. Anybody know who I'm talking about? When I'm preaching, you'll hear him go, Hallelujah, from the back, right? We're sitting up front. Sweet kid, beautiful little boy. And I said, you know, has any of you ever... Has any of you ever um, dealt with be- betrayal? And he goes, me. And I was, and I, th- I thought it was cute. But then I, re- I said, I replied, I was like, "How's that even possible?" Joking around, and then I realized he's been through a lot as a little boy. And he he stated something, and I, I don't know that's my story to tell, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop short of that. But he he proclaimed out loud his betrayal. And it literally broke every person in the room's heart. And uh, try coming back from that when you're preaching. It wasn't pretty. So I stopped and I went and gave him a hug. And I just told him, I said, hugging a fat guy always makes you feel better. So it's true. If you've never done it, you should. It's awesome. Um, Make sure you warn them first. Like they need to know. Like there needs to be a relationship there. Don't find one in the supermarket. tell you from experience that doesn't end well so but it just really encapsulated that people identify with some of the things that jesus went through and that's what we want here we want you to identify with what jesus went through we want you to identify with what the the apostles went through we want you to be in the story next week is the day that we talk about the death of jesus And it's not going to sit well with you the way things just kind of go, but I want you to be in the story, and I want you to experience what they experienced, and I want you to feel what they felt, the hopelessness in the moment that they felt, so we're going to do our best to kind of bring that to you, and I know that doesn't sound fun, but it's super necessary. Amen? So today we're going to talk about his arrest and his imprisonment for for a short time uh, and his trial okay and uh and so it's really kind of overlapping between a couple chapters and uh instead of me reading and stumbling over my words i'm gonna have johnny cash i invited him back and uh but johnny reads slow so i sped him up just a little bit so you can uh you can hear him so johnny's gonna read this whole thing and then we're gonna break it down for for you so go ahead johnny
1: then he said to them why do you sleep rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this and he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, captains of the temple, and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter then Peter remembered the word of the Lord how he had said to him before the rooster crows you will deny me three times so Peter went out and wept bitterly now the men who held Jesus mocked him and beat him and having blindfolded him they struck him on the face and asked him saying prophesy who is the one who struck you and many other things they blasphemously spoke against him as soon as it was day the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, You rightly say that I am. And they said, What further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested, and he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will.
0: That's a lot. That's a lot. There's a lot to this, and, and there's a lot to unpack. And basically what, what we're going to talk about is the different encounters that led Jesus to the cross on that night. The very first thing that we see is, is uh, and, and here's the thing, I'm going to talk about the type of people that, involve, that are involved here. And um, I'll just say this. You may be able to find yourself in some of these. And uh, And you think to yourself, "How's that possible? Just just bear with me. Because I'll tell you that the people represented in this story are still are still amongst us today. And uh, And it may seem unfathomable, but the fact is it's true. and uh, And so, we, we, we first talk, start talking about what happened, so we, we hear about Judas. We all talked about it last week, that Judas was the one that was going to betray Jesus. In fact, it's so mind-blowing that Jesus still washed the feet of, Jesus, of Judas, even though he knew that he would betray him. Did that blow anybody else's mind other than mine? Like, that is absolutely bonkers to me. But he, he did it. Knowing that he would betray him, he still did it. And so the time has come. Jesus is in the garden. He's praying, and he is saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, your will be done. In that moment, Judas shows up with a crowd of people. And we call him the friendly betrayer. Judas shows up with a crowd of people, and Judas was one who claimed intimacy with Jesus. He's been there with him. Understand that when Jesus commissioned the apostles to go and do miracles, you forget, but that, that's Judas as well. Everybody thinks he's all stealing money all the time, but that's not true. He was doing miracles just as much as they were. He was a part of that, that group commissioned to go out into the world around them. He claimed intimacy with Jesus, and I find it funny that, that he was close in proximity to Jesus, but he was far from him in heart. Did you hear that? You can be close in proximity to Jesus, but still have your heart be far away from Him. What does that look like? You're in church, you're doing the little things right, but your heart isn't there. You're not sold out for Him, and that's where Judas was. And I, it, 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 I find it, I find it very, very, very crazy. I, the fact that Judas used the. The symbol of friendship and love to be the very thing as the symbol of what he used to betray Jesus, a kiss. See, in this culture, it was customary that if you had respect for someone, if you loved that person, you would walk up and you would kiss them on the cheek. I'm just going to be honest with you and say that I'm glad that's no longer custom here. (laughs) I don't want... I just can't imagine walking up to my friend Wes Jones and planting one on him every time I see him. Getting his beard balm all over. I don't don't want to do it. But that's what it was there. Peter, I'm sorry, Judas used the very thing that symbolizes friendship, respect, and love to betray Jesus. People like Judas walk away from God when they're enticed by something that seems like a better deal for them, all this happened over what? 30 pieces of silver. All of it. He finds himself in a moment where he betrays Jesus and walks away from Him for a price that was not worth the betrayal. Have you ever seen somebody who makes a mistake and they choose the wrong decision? And they walk away from something absolutely amazing for something absolutely horrible. I've seen it over and over and over. And I gotta be honest with you, that's probably the hardest part of being a pastor for me is watching people make train wreck decisions in slow motion and not being able to do anything about it. And that's what Judas does here. And so they, they seize Jesus, and, and Peter jumps out and has a moment of bravery and slices dude trying to get to Jesus, Vincent van Gogh style. I was going to tell you a Vincent Van Van Gogh joke, but I figured only half of you would hear it. (laughs) That's the worst dad joke I've had in a long time. And you know what's funny is I thought of that today in the shower, and and I had time to talk myself out of it, and I didn't. That's probably the craziest part. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So they arrest him. And... uh, and I just, you know, he didn't spend a lot of time in a jail cell. He actually gets bounced back and forth between different judges and magistrates. And but I think this is a good representation of where Jesus ends up. Now we gotta let's just be honest here. The way this thing's laid out, I think Jesus probably could have turned sideways and got out. I think Pastor Terry could not. <laughs> Jesus didn't spend a ton of time in prison. He didn't get three hots in a cot. Okay? Three hot meals and a place to sleep. He didn't get that. And uh, this bed's actually built more like for Pastor Kate than, than anybody else's. <laughs> low to the ground. And this is a $8 disaster blanket from Glenn Surplus. It's literally like sleeping with a Brillo pad. But it's a decent representation of what happens. Jesus is no longer a free man. He is He's been grabbed by the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, at the command of the Pharisees, and he is now bound, and the end is near. The end is near. And they all kind of responded in their own way. You know? One of them was Peter. And Peter... Kind of watched what was going on and we could talk about peter we would we would say that he's the next part of the story and that peter's the fearful denier he follows jesus at a distance and you got to understand something this is after Peter says, Jesus, I will follow you everywhere. Everybody else may deny you, but I will be strong for you. I promise I'm all in with you. And Jesus was like, Peter, it's just not going to happen. You're going to be sifted. It's going to happen. Don't you love the fact that Jesus knew that and had that in mind on the way to the cross? He already knew that Peter would be sifted. So Peter follows Jesus at a distance. Let me just tell you something I've learned in life. If you follow Jesus at a distance. It won't be long before you deny Jesus. Did you hear that? If you follow Jesus at a distance, it won't be long before you're denying him. That's exactly what happens. People walk up to him and they're like, "Peter, we know that you were with him. We've seen you with him. And he freaks out. He starts denying three different times. Look, I think the greatest compliment you can ever pay somebody is to say, Pastor Jim, I could tell you've been with Jesus. At the end of your life, isn't that what you want everybody in the world to know, that you've been with Jesus, right? I want people to be able to look at me and say, there's something different. He's been with Jesus. But that triggers Peter. Hashtag triggered, man. That dude goes off. First time, he's like, nah, I don't know what you're talking about. Second time, he's afraid of a little girl. A little girl's like, you were with him. He's like, Shh, shut up, kid. Here, have some cookies and go. <laughs> he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Move along. Another one comes along and says the same thing, and he starts calling down curses. He steps outside of his character. He forgets who he is. He had a fear of backlash. And fear of backlash will cause many believers to step outside of their character and their calling. Did you hear that? Fear of backlash will cause many believers to step out of their character and step out of their calling. They will do things that they never thought they would ever do because they're afraid of what the crowd is going to say. One of the words that ticks me off more than anything else right now, and I think you'll all agree, is cancel culture. makes me sick, that one person can mess up. And it's for a lot of different things. And you know what? I'm a firm believer we need to be held accountable. But yet people's, people's lives are just being shut down because of something they said that was stupid and wrong and trash when they were 15 years old. And we are living in a time, where standing up to Jesus at some point, in, standing up for Jesus at some point in time, will get you canceled. It's going to happen. The question is, do you fear the backlash? The question is, are you worried about what's going to happen? The question is, are you willing to stand strong in the midst of it? Or will you be like Peter... Because he feared the crowd, he chose comfort over commitment. What do you mean, PT? Instead of following Jesus closely to the cross, he finds himself warming his hands at the fire. And when people come and try and remove him from the fire because they know he's been with him, what does he do? He denies it so that he can stay near the comfort rather than be committed. There are people who are going to walk away from Jesus because they are afraid of the backlash of what being a true follower of Christ is going to look like, and they will choose comfort over commitment. Peter, the fearful denier. It's starting to get a little more relevant, isn't it? So he goes from Peter, and Peter sees this whole thing, and now the great news is is it doesn't end there for Peter. Let's let's give Peter some credit here. Can we cut him some slack? Let's let's give Peter some credit. So what happens with Peter? Peter denies him three times. A rooster crow, he weeps bitterly. He repents. And instead of running away from Jesus forever, he, 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 he leans in. He finds himself in the upper room. The day of Pentecost comes the Holy Spirit sweeps over the whole area. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. He runs outside. Starts preaching the first Christian sermon and thousands of people give their life to the Lord. And he goes, and he used to be the guy who was afraid of the little girl while at the fire. He goes from that to now the fire isn't what he's warming himself in. The fire is what's consuming him. And he says to the people, this Jesus who you crucified. Your blood, his blood is on your hands, and you need to do something about it. And that was the beginning of what we now have here. What's the difference? The, the Holy Spirit's the difference. So let's cut Peter some slack. We're hard on Peter. We're hard on Peter. And I get it, because I, I, I always put my foot in my mouth, just like him. But we're hard on that guy. So it goes from that moment where, where Peter sees Jesus and and Jesus looks at him after the rooster's crow, or after after he's denied three times and the rooster crows. Jesus looks at him, and he goes and weeps bitterly. And they begin to take him to different places. The next place they go is to the soldiers, and the soldiers are mocking him and beating him. This is the part where it's just really brutal. One of the parts where it's really brutal. Now you got to understand something. It it and In Luke, it just says that they mocked him and they beat him. But all of the Gospels work together to to bring you a full aspect ratio of what happened, right? So you have, it's it's almost like four-dimensional. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you see it from four different angles, right? And so you see that this is the moment where they beat him with pipes. This is the moment where they whip him with the cat of nine tails. Do you know what that is? It's a handle with leather straps, and on the end of it is either metal balls or, or bone fragments. This is part of when that ha- happens more, but this is when it happens. This is when they fashion a crown of thorns and put it on his head. It'll happen more with Herod. In fact, I think the, I think the uh, crown of thorns probably happens more at Herod's place. He, this is the beginning of agony for him. And I just look at, I just look at these guys. They're beating Jesus. They're mocking Him. They're getting pleasure out of causing somebody else pain. And these are the desensitized, the soldiers. Anybody ever seen The Passion of the Christ? You've seen the video. It almost becomes sport to them. Did you notice that? It almost becomes who can outdo the other they become desensitized to what they're doing to Jesus. They they lose sight of the fact that they're hurting him. And I imagine it's because they've done this time after time after time. And they just don't realize who Jesus is just yet, but they will. But they've done this before. They've, They've whipped people before. They've beaten people before. They've hung them on a cross before. They became desensitized to the fact that they were hurting Jesus. They allowed themselves to be hardened so, so that they knew that whatever they were doing to Jesus, it really, it really had no effect on them. I can remember a time where I got desensitized. Uh, I, you know, I talk a lot about my time at the county jail. It was only four years, but I was 19. It was 19 through 23, and so it was kind of big years in my life. And, uh, but a lot can happen when you work law enforcement for four years, right, Gary? Gary? You get it. And uh, when I first got there, I got to the jail thinking, I'm going to change people. God's going to use me to change this place. Only thing is, jail's not set up for that. Jail's set up to be jail. It's a messed up place. Guy got his jaw broken one time, and they put him on a liquid diet. And they don't feel sorry for you. You know what they fed him one time? A pureed bologna sandwich and a straw. I remember I was like, this is nasty, taking it to him I'm like, bro, <laughs> enjoy. I, uh. Jail's not meant for, for changing people. That's not what they built it for. It's, and you get desensitized pretty quick. When I first got there, I had all these ambitions, and I, had, and I looked at people with empathy. You remember when you first started? You probably looked at people with empathy, didn't you? Yep. And uh, so that was third shift where I started, and then I went to first shift for a while, and, and, uh, and it's a whole different place when all the inmates are awake during the day. That's not fun. Go back to sleep. Go back to sleep. And, uh, and so I was on first shift for about a year, and then I made my way back to Sea Watch, back to third shift. Third shift was awesome because they were sleeping. It was long periods of boredom interrupted by short bursts of intensity. You'd get to in, the, and there'd be a guy acting a fool, and you'd get to have a little WWE, and it was fun, Right? Well, so I get down to book him one time. It's about 3 a.m. And they bring this guy in. And he starts flipping out and starts acting like he's having a heart attack. None of us are buying it. They always fake injuries. Always. And I'm just standing there. And I'm just looking at him. I got my arms crossed. He's rolling around on the ground. And we're all just watching him. Like, this guy's an idiot. And we're just watching. And my former field training officer, we call him Tank, looked at me he goes man you've changed I said what do you mean he goes when you started when you were my rookie if you would have looked at if this would have been going on you would have looked at him and I would have seen compassion all over your face now I see nothing but cold steel and it doesn't take long to get there does it and that really broke my heart because I knew that I had a call to ministry and it wouldn't be long before I was out of there But I was getting desensitized. And when you're desensitized to things, you will do things that you never thought you would ever do. And that's what happened. These guys are desensitized to the pain that they're causing Jesus. And you may be thinking to yourself, hey, I would never do that. I would never hurt Jesus like that. But our sin does the same exact thing. It's what caused the whip to be in somebody's hand. It was our sin. So the fact of the matter is, We have become desensitized to our sin. We have become desensitized to the very thing that hurts Jesus the most. Y'all are quiet. You're like, but I didn't think I was as bad as the soldiers. No, we are. So they beat him, and then they send him to trial. Okay, so, you know, I just imagine they, they, they beat him. They throw him in the cell for a little bit. A little bit later, they come, they grab them, they take them out, and they take them to the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin sounds like an awesome, all-inclusive uh, hotel in Cancun, but it's not. It's not that. sounds like it would be, though. Yeah, I want to go to the, we, we booked seven nights at the Sanhedrin. I can't wait. No. No, it's not that. It's the, it is, it is the, the judges for the, the, the Pharisees. It's the the religious board. They're the invested. He goes before the Sanhedrin. Let me just tell you something. These guys had it made. They had a nice little thing going for them. They've got a system. That system puts them in a place of power. That system puts them in a place of popularity. That system puts them in a place of prestige. Prestige. They're making money hand over fist. This is why Jesus got so mad he walked in because the temple traders were, were, were cheating people. They would say, well, your, your dollar that you have is actually only worth 50 cents in temple tax, so you, you can't use that money. You have to buy this money, but it's only worth half. And then the bird that you would use for the sacrifice if you would have caught it yourself would have been way less expensive than this, so I'm going to charge you twice as much. And you'd even try and bring your own. They'd be like, no, nope, no, nope, not good enough. You've got to use one of ours. They're cheating people. They're making rules for people that should not have existed. This is that, pe- look, humans couldn't get the 10 right. Why would we add another 150, 200? Right? But that's what they did. And now these guys have it made. They are the invested. Life is good. They stand to lose more from Jesus' ministry than anybody else. Did you ever think about that? This is why the high priest was so upset at 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 the idea that Jesus could be the Messiah because this throws a monkey wrench in the whole entire system they have. And life was good for them. They're the best of the best of the best they are in with the Roman soldiers. They're in with the Roman citizens. They're the ones who have a life and are happy, and they're not miserable in their sin. Have you ever entertained the idea that people in your life, some of them are not miserable in their sin? You got to the place where you were, because the Bible says that sin has pleasure for a season but there are people in your life that that sin still has pleasure in their life and they're not yet miserable and so they built a good life and they're enjoying themselves and all of the all the things that they have kind of revolve around their own little life that they built for themselves and for them to give their life to jesus means they have to walk away from everything just like these guys they're invested there are people who are invested and for them to take a step towards Jesus means they have to give up a whole lot. This is why the rich young ruler walked up to Jesus, and he says, he says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you know, keep the commandments. And he's like, well, I've done that ever since I was a kid. What am I missing? He's like, oh, sell everything you own, give the money to the, give the, money to the poor, and uh, follow me. And he got brokenhearted and was upset Because he knew that walking away from that was going to cost him everything. And he was so invested that he didn't want to do it. So you go from the one betraying to to the one who was the fearful denier, to the ones that are desensitized, the soldiers that were hurting them, to the Sanhedrin, and they take him before the court, and they are doing everything that they can do to pronounce the death sentence. Why? Because they're going to lose everything if Jesus is the Messiah. Have you ever thought about these things? I don't know, as I look at these things, it kind of blows my mind. I'm going somewhere with all this. I feel like I've lost some of you. I'm seeing like, (laughs) he said a lot of words today. Just bear with me. It'll get there. So the Sanhedrin then takes him before Pontius Pilate. The apathetic one. At very first, he wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He's like, why do I have to do this? Have you ever had something you're like, this is dumb and inconvenient for me. Why do I have to do it? And you're like, because it's your job, and you have to or else you don't get to buy stuff. All right, fine. I feel like some of you have this conversation with your spouse before you go to work in the morning. Pilate sees Jesus, and he's like, I I don't want to do this. I don't want nothing to do with this, And so he listens to Jesus. and he's like, I don't see anything wrong with him. What's, he's not doing anything wrong. What am I? But he fears the Sanhedrin because they have pool. He's like, well, and, then, and then he hears that Jesus actually doesn't come from his area, and he's like, wait, 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 Where are you from? Oh, that's Herod's jurisdiction. So I'm going to send you that way, but he'll send him, but then he comes back and let's talk about what he does. His wife, Pilate's wife even says to him, have nothing to do with this just man because I have just had many, I suffered many things in the dreams about him. So don't do this. And so he tries with everything that he has to get out of it. He could have just let him go. Pilate knew what the right thing to do was and didn't care enough to do it. He is one of those people who knew what the right thing was but just did not care enough to make it happen. My friends, that is the epitome of apathy. When you know exactly how you're supposed to live your life and you know exactly what you're supposed to do but you just don't care enough to make it happen. Make sense? And this is Pilate. And so what does he do? He, He actually calls for a basin and washes his hands of it. He knows what the right thing to do is, but he does not want to do it. He is apathetic. He's like, get me out of this. I just imagine Pilate like constantly whining. He's like, I got to judge stuff today. Oh. (laughs) So he sends him to Herod. Herod's different. Herod, when you read about, how many of you guys have ever read about Herod? Freak. That brother's a freak and a horrible person, just horrible, and hurts a lot of people for stupid reasons. Dude was a freak. But in this case, he was the entitled. So when Herod found out that Jesus was coming, he was hoping that Jesus would bust out the dog and pony show. You can hit uh, the entitled for the next one. That's Herod. He's hoping Jesus busts out the dog and pony show. Jesus is going to come sit in my court. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll turn a squirrel into a watermelon. I don't know. I hope to see him do something awesome. I have no idea where that came from. <laughs> of all the things that somebody could turn into a squirrel into a watermelon, you don't hear that one much. But I hate squirrels and I love watermelons, so there you go. And so he's hoping, I've heard all these things about you, Jesus. I heard that you've healed people. I hear that you've raised people from the dead. What are you going to do for me? And Jesus is like, I'm going to do absolutely nothing. I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to stand here. And he's angry. He becomes indignant. He begins to treat Jesus spitefully, mocks him. He even challenges and mocks Jesus' kingship. That's where the crown of thorns comes in. You ready to have your, sto- your toes stepped on? Step on? When the Lord dropped this one in my spirit, I about fell off the kitchen, the kitchen uh, chair. Many doubt the kingship of Jesus because he doesn't pour- perform according to their script. Whew. I know, that's what I'm saying. Thank you, Miss Lori. Many doubt the kingship of Jesus because Jesus doesn't perform according to your script, and so and so Herod is furious, and he treats him spitefully, and he, he 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 mocks his kingship. He says, "You are not who you say you are," because he doesn't do it the way he wants him to do it. That's why when you see when he says, "You have not because you ask not," but you also ha- you ask and you still don't have because you ask amiss. That you may spend it on your pleasures. You're looking at these things all wrong and you ask amiss. So many people walk away from Jesus because He didn't perform according to their script. I remember watching... A video when I was a youth pastor of this kid who was on fire for God and then walked away and became an atheist. And the people who were interviewing him was like, how does that happen? How do you go from being someone who's head over heels in love with the Lord to being completely and totally at odds with Him? And he says, well, one time I prayed for something and He didn't give it to me, so I stopped believing in Him. What? What? Friends? Hmm. Preach. I'm gonna let you say that one. I'm not even gonna repeat it. Yellow mic. Got it. He's not a vending machine. Oh, snap! She said he's not a vending machine. You can't, you can't deposit what you want to deposit and then push the buttons you hope to push and expect to get your expected outcome just because that's what you're craving. Right? That's what you, that's what you mean, right? Dang. But because he didn't get what he wanted, he mocked him, had him beaten more, and then he sent him back to Pilate. Now Pilate's got a choice. And this is the part where he calls for the basin because he is, he's just done. He doesn't want to be a part of this. He says, he says, I've seen nothing wrong with him. He's been in front of me twice now. I find no fault in him. Why are we doing this? And they're like, crucify him. He's like, well, I've got Barabbas, and here's Barabbas. He's like, but what, what am I supposed to do? And he ends up, Pilate listens to the ignorant actors. Now, I'm not talking about Hollywood, although I, think, I do think all those actors are ignorant too. But he's talking about the crowd. And they're looking at Pilate, and Pilate is saying, okay, what am I supposed to do with this guy? I've got Jesus, who I find absolutely no fault in, and I've got Barabbas, who's a rebel and who's also a murderer. What am I supposed to do? This whole thing blows my mind. So he, 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 he calls out to the crowd. He's like, what do you want? How about I just scourge Jesus? How about I just beat him up a little bit more? Send him on his way. He didn't do anything wrong. Brother, if he didn't do anything wrong, why do you want to hit him? What's the matter with you, Pilate? And at this time, Pilate, was, was, it was customary that they would give one of the prisoners back to the crowd of their choice. So you had Jesus, blameless, perfect, Son of God, and you had Barabbas, rebel, thief, killer. And he's standing there and he's like, Which one do you want me to release? And the ignorant actors call for the release of Barabbas. They're like, We want that guy. We want the one whose heart is intent on doing evil because he makes us feel better about ourselves. Just did. Pilate's like, okay, but what am I supposed to do with Jesus then? And they're all yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He's like, why, what has he done? And they, they uprose they up even more and they're yelling for his crucifixion and finally that's when he calls for the basin and he says, you know what, I'm done. I wash my hands of this. And here's what he says. He said, his blood is on your hands. And here was their reply. His blood be on us and our children. Now when I pray for my family, I pray that the cleansing blood of Jesus would be all over my life and also over the life of Grace, Gavin, and Jillian. That's how Megan and I pray. But that's not what they were asking for. They're saying, we don't know what the consequences of this are, but we're willing to saddle ourselves with the consequences of choosing the life of Barabbas over the life of Jesus, and we're willing to let our kids suffer over it as well. What? What? Completely ignorant to what they're asking for. Have you ever seen somebody ask for something like, bro, you don't know what you're asking for right now. You're like, dude, you have no idea what you're asking for. And they're like, I want it anyway. You don't want that. It's bad for you. It's going to hurt you. No, that's exactly what we want. Give it here. And that's what they chose. And finally... Jesus is taken and he's put back in his cell until the next chapter. The next chapter is the death of Jesus. We gloss over these things. We'll talk about the death of Jesus next week. But I don't know, do you find yourself in any of these stories you're like no i would never do those things to jesus let's look at it again let me ask you some questions do you find yourself in any of these maybe you think no i couldn't that couldn't be me take another look do you walk away from jesus when a better option comes along you might be a friendly betrayer do you follow jesus at a distance Or maybe allow fear of backlash to cause you to step outside of your character and your calling. You could be the fearful denier. Have you become desensitized to the pain your actions are causing the Lord? Maybe you're the desensitized one. Are you hesitant to follow Jesus because you aren't miserable? And you can't imagine walking away from the things that you have built to serve Him? You might be the invested. Do you know the right thing to do but don't care enough to do it? You could be the apathetic. Do you deny Jesus' kingship because he didn't act according to your script? You could be the entitled. You find yourself being willing to embrace the consequences of your actions to yourself and to your kids but have no idea what it's really going to cost you. You could be the ignorant actor. We can find ourselves in these stories. And I got to be honest with you, there's probably moments where I've operated in more than one of these at some point in time in my life. These are the people... The betrayer, the denier, the desensitized, the invested, the apathetic, the entitled, and the ignorant actors. These are the people that when we look at the story, we say those are the ones that sent Jesus to the cross. Right? It was those actions that sent Jesus to the cross. The betrayer, the denier, all the rest of them. There's a whole list, you can look for yourself. Those are the things that sent Jesus to the cross, but we get it all wrong. We think that's what sent Jesus to the cross, but it wasn't. The fact of the matter is, is what sent Jesus to the cross was his love for the betrayer. Was his love for the denier. Was his love for the desensitized. Was his love for the invested? Was his love for the apathetic? Was his love for the entitled? Was his love for the ignorant? We think that those are they're the ones who were responsible. No, no, no. It's just the vehicle God used to get them there. He came knowing that those were the ones he was going to give his life for. And he was ready and willing to do it. Think about that for a second. How much more do you just see this amazing God when you look at what Jesus has been through? Week one, it was the betrayer. Week week one, it was was the bickering. It was the ones who were supposed to be closest to him were the ones sleeping on him. Week two, all these things, but yet he's the one who came knowing that this was the vehicle that they would use to get there, but his heart was set on dying for these people before they ever stepped into the role. Go ahead and stand to your feet. What does that mean for us? What that means is no matter who you've been, maybe you've operated in one of those things. Maybe you've lived one of those things. This is not a beat you up kind of moment. This is hopefully an epiphany of how great this God is that though I've operated in one or two of these things, he still loved me enough to pay full price for me. There's a, a story about two Bible college students in there. I was just telling somebody else a story the other day. Two Bible students, and they're walking through through like a, a an outdoor thrift shop, thrift shop. And they roll up onto this box of t-shirts and socks, and they're and they got stains on them, and they just kind of look janky. And it says, slightly soiled, greatly reduced in price. And so often we pay. We pay minimum dollar because it's slightly soiled, greatly reduced in price. The fact of the matter is, is that when Jesus looked at you, he didn't see all these things that causes you to be slightly soiled and greatly reduced in value. He was willing to pay full price. He looked at you and he said, I'm going to give everything that I have. And that we talk about that next week. I'm going to give everything that I have. And yes, he may have been a betrayer. Yes, he may have been a denier. Yes, he's apathetic. Yes, he's got a lot invested in his own lifestyle. All these things may be true, but I'm going to give everything I have for him anyway. You should leave this place today grateful that Jesus' mission was to love us in spite of us. And he didn't look at you as a thrift store item. He looked at you as priceless, willing to give everything for the one that he loves. Praise God. Maybe you've operated in some of these things. God's grace is bigger. God's grace overcomes it. So don't beat yourself up anymore. Embrace his grace and move forward in him. And you won't regret it. Amen? Did this make sense to you? Listen, I got to let you go. I would love to have an, a knockdown, dragout, snot fest, but I preached way too long and I got to let you leave. So let me pray a blessing over you guys. And if you're here today and maybe you feel like you're one of those people, maybe you feel like you're the betrayer, the, the denier, the desensitized, all the way down the list, and you need prayer, come talk to me. And we also have pastors and elders and prayer, prayer partners here. We want to pray for you if, you if you need that. But let me pray and let you go. Father, all this should do is cause us to be so grateful for your grace. God, at times in my life, I have been the betrayer. At times in my life, I've been the denier. At times in my life, I've been desensitized to what my sin is doing to you. At times in my life, I have been been invested in what I'm building for myself. In times of my life, I've been apathetic. In times of my life, I've been entitled. In times of my life, I've acted ignorantly. But God, I'm so grateful that your grace extends far beyond that. And God, I pray that we would leave here today grateful for the grace extended to us by a mighty God. Remembering that Jesus came knowing that we would operate in these things long before we ever operated and still gave all for us. We're grateful today. We love you and we praise you. Bless my friends. Be glorified in us in everything we do in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, as you leave, a couple things I want you to ponder this week on this principle leading up to next Friday or next, next Sunday, which is representing Good Friday. Also, remember, we need help for these funer- for this funeral dinner, so you can sign up out there to be a part of that as well. We love you guys. God bless.